This week, apostolic leaders from around the world are scheduled to meet in suburban St. Louis, Missouri. Stay tuned to find out what will be on the agenda and to learn more about what God is doing globally through the United Pentecostal Church International. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. This week, the Global Council of the United Pentecostal Church International is scheduled to convene right not too far from World Headquarters, where we're filming this podcast episode. On Wednesday afternoon of this week, the delegates from the Global Council are going to be coming here to World Headquarters. We're excited about hosting them. We're going to give them a tour of the building, show them what we do here. But I think probably a lot of people that are listening to this podcast episode, they don't maybe have any idea what the Global Council is. So could you start today by just telling us what is the Global Council? Sure. Let me give you a little bit of background on the UPCI. Uh, The United Pentecostal Church International is a worldwide organization. Uh, we are now have some kind of presence in 199 out of 210 nations. Uh, in some cases, it might be just a contact, a Bible study, uh, someone we've won to the Lord. In other cases, we might have a few churches uh, under the uh, supervision of a missionary. Uh, in other cases, we may have a strong national church. And then finally, we may have what we call a nationalized church, which means the leaders are all chosen uh, by the national leadership. And so, uh, so there'd be an organization akin to what we have here in North America. Yes, uh, but it would be have its own constitution, its own bylaws. It would adopt the international articles of faith. So we have common articles of faith. But as far as their governance, they would have their own structure. They would elect their own leaders. And legally, they would be a separate entity under the uh, the nation's laws. So, and and by the way, so I said two, uh, 199 out of 210 nations, but we also count territories. For example, Guam is U.S. territory, but it's separated, and we have a work there, so we count that separately. And likewise, Hong Kong is part of China, but it has a different governance and, and we have missionaries there in a way that we can't have in mainland China. So we count that separately. So when you count the territories, I believe we're now at somewhere around 238 nations and territories. And so the, the UPCI as such is a legal entity in the United States and Canada. So we treat those two nations as one. And then most of the missionaries around the world come from the U.S. and Canada. So we hear from our headquarters in St. Louis, the um, Missouri, USA, we oversee all the missionaries. So the UPCI technically as a legal entity uh, consists of the churches in the U.S. and Canada, the governance structure for the U.S. and Canada, and the oversight of all the missionaries around the world. But but as, mission, as uh, churches come to maturity, they establish their own constitution, their own governance, elect their own leaders, then technically that's a different legal organization. So to keep us all in one fellowship, we have what's called the Global Council. Let me stop you just for a second and ask one question. How many nations right now have a nationalized work? I don't know the exact number, but it would be uh, probably, you're talking about 50 or so. Um, 
And that, of course, that fluctuates, that changes from year to year. Our goal is to have to each church, uh, it's called the three selves, uh, self-governing, self-supporting, and self-propagating. So when a national church has mature leaders and they can elect their own leaders, they don't need leaders from the U.S. and Canada, that's self-governing. When they're self-supporting, that means they can operate their normal operations through their own tithes and offerings. So they don't need us to pay salaries. They don't need us to support the Bible school. Now, we may still give special contributions on, for special projects or to supplement or to help them. Uh, and we may still have, send missionaries, not as leaders, national leaders anymore, but as uh, teachers or facilitators. Uh, but essentially, they're able to support their own regular operations. That's self-supporting. And then self-propagating is they are growing through their own national efforts. So they're planting churches, they're winning souls. And again, we might still have some missionaries who are helping them to evangelize or to reach uh, new areas, but we see that the national church is able to continue growing and reaching its own country. That's called self-propagating. So when they've achieved those three goals, then we, we have a ceremony. We call it nationalizing the church. So go, let's go back to the global council then. So each nation that has an organized work sends two delegates to the global council. It meets once every five years. Then in between, at the two-and-a-half-year mark, we have the Executive Global Council, which is a smaller unit that's selected from the larger group. And the goal is to coordinate international efforts. So, um, so again, the delegates can come from organized works and from national nationalized works. So an organized work is strong enough to have an organization, but missionaries are still uh, in leadership, at least in part, uh, the church is still getting support from the U.S. and Canada for its operations. So it's not fully nationalized, but it is organized. So both the organized works and the nationalized works will send delegates to the Global Council. Now, the Global Council does not govern the internal structure of each nation, but rather the Global Council coordinates international efforts. So we coordinate international evangelism. We coordinate the Global Association of Theological Studies, which consists of our Bible colleges and training seminars all across the world. Uh, we, we have policies such as the international transfer of credentials. So if a, a minister moves from one nation to another, uh, what are the guidelines for accepting their credentials? Or international ministry. So let's say uh, someone has a contact in another nation, they want to start a church. Well, they need to go get approval from that country where they're wanting to start a church, not just from their home country. So we have policies of for international ministry, international transfer of credentials. Uh, we have judicial procedures. So what if a minister in one country um, does something allegedly wrong in another country? Or what if a church in one country has an accusation or a complaint or at least a grievance against a church a minister of another country. Well, how do we handle that internationally? Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, the international articles of faith, we have articles of faith in the U S and Canada, but some of them have statements that are more relative to our culture, such as public schools and, uh, things that would relate to the North American context. So we have the international articles of faith is very similar, but it just omits a few paragraphs that don't 
that are not doctrinal in nature, primary doctrinal in nature, but would deal with once a certain cultural or governmental issues, but not others. And so the international articles of faith would have 95%, but all the nations of the world vote on, on those and have, and have voted on and have adopted them. So what we're trying to do with the global council is even as each a nation has its own national church with its own governance, its own legal status, and could operate independently of everybody else. But the Global Council organizes us on the basis of fellowship, first and foremost, doctrinal unity, then our international evangelistic efforts, our international prayer, the World Network of Prayer, things that we all cooperate on together. And what we're also trying to do is create a culture. So if there's a problem in one country, Technically, that nation is an independent nation, and that national church is a self-governing church, but yet the influence of the international fellowship can help guide uh, that, that nation that's going through a struggle so that instead of it looking like or being that, well, someone in the U.S. is dictating to someone in another country, no, it's the whole world in a consensus saying this is what we believe or these are our best practices or these are problems and we would like to help you with those problems. And that has really come to pass that as there have been issues in different nations, we don't go in there if the church already has national government. We don't go in there and try to tell them what to do, but we can advise them. We can come alongside to help them. We can share this is the consensus of the international body in situations like this. And that has proven very helpful to create that international fellowship, camaraderie, maintaining doctrinal integrity, maintaining our teachings of holiness, um, maintaining uh, standards for our ministry, as far as what is appropriate for ministerial ethics and ministerial life, all those things are strengthened because we have a global council. And so we're coming, the exciting thing for the first time ever, we're coming to the U.S., we're coming to the St. Louis area. And so many of our national leaders will get to see our headquarters, will get to see the Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School campus, uh, the Center for the Study of Oneness Pentecostalism with the historic museum and archives. So they'll get a better picture and appreciation of our international efforts. Now, uh, right now, the chair of the Global Council is the general superintendent of the UPCI because we're the mother church the other churches have all come out of the missions efforts of the mother church, and they still look to us in that way. Um, the, the co-chair is the director of global missions, but we elect a secretary from the various regions. They rotate from the regions of the world. So this is a way to incorporate leadership from outside the U.S. and Canada. And I think one day when almost all the churches would be nationalized, we would probably rotate the chairmanship as well. But right now we haven't gotten that far. And even most of the nations that are nationalized would prefer a leader from the North American church because they look to us as, as the world leaders. Uh, but but we're, we're, we're really evolving into a truly international fellowship. And as one practical example of that, is missionaries. We now have, I don't know the latest statistics, but I think it's 60 or more what we call regional missionaries. They are not from the U.S. and Canada, but they're from another nation like Madagascar going to another country in Africa or Brazil going to Portuguese-speaking nations uh, around the world. 
and or one nation of Europe to another nation of Europe. So that's another purpose of the Global Council is to coordinate international missions efforts. And so even though the vast majority of missions efforts, the finances and the personnel have historically come from the U.S. and Canada, that's gradually changing so that missions efforts are truly international from one nation to another uh, so that uh, we're coming becoming a truly international fellowship. So so let me contrast this with a hierarchical church like the Roman Catholic Church. Well, the Pope is the head, and he appoints all the bishops all over the world, and regardless of what nation they're in, the Vatican controls the governance from A to Z. We're not like that. We're self-governing. We're more on the model of what you might call the United Nations, where each member uh, nation is sovereign. Well, in our case, each uh, church is self-governing. But we're different from the UN in that we have common values and common uh, doctrine, uh, a common lifestyle. We all get along a lot better. We all get along <laughs> a lot better. And there's a much closer inner working because, as I said, we have missionaries now, not only from North America, but from other countries. And so we're interwoven. Um, so that's why somebody might ask, well, your general board, or why don't you have people from other nations of the world? Well, actually, the general board is for the U.S. and Canada. And uh, Great Britain and Ireland, they have a general board. And, uh, you know, uh, Brazil, they have a general board. But what unites all of us uh, around the world is the Global Council. I think a lot of people probably don't realize just how uh, influential the, the United Pentecostal Church has been outside of North America. Those of us who live in North America, we grew up in the North American church. We're used to thinking in terms of what God's doing in North America. But can you just briefly tell us maybe what some of the significant nationalized works are, what God's doing around the world? Well, I can give you some highlights. Our biggest national church, which probably has even exceeded the amount of constituents in in the U.S. would be the Philippines. They have over one million constituents. Wow. Now, when we say constituents, uh, we're counting uh, all those who identify with the church, even if they don't regularly attend. And the reason why we do that, that's our reach. That's our influence. And if you wanted to compare what we're doing with what the Baptists are doing or what the Catholics are doing, they would count everybody that ever got baptized, whether they go to church or not. Well, our constituents' numbers would be much more closely aligned to the numbers who are actually attending, those who are baptized in Jesus' name, receiving the Holy Ghost. Uh, so the Philippines would be our number one uh, nation with well over a million estimated constituents. And the place where we have the largest concentration of constituents in the whole world is in Northeast India. In that we have uh, in in India, we actually have three different units because India is such a big nation with different uh, tribes and languages. So we actually have three national organizations, but the UPCI of Northeast India, the core of that is the, the state of Mizoram, the Mizo people. And Mizoram has perhaps about 700,000 in the population and over 70,000 United Pentecostal constituents. So there we have 10% of the population of the state identifies with the United Pentecostal Church. That's the highest concentration of any in the world. Any other uh, national works that stand out? Uh, Uganda in East Africa is perhaps, um, and again, I'd have to look at the statistics because they can change, but possibly our most rapidly growing uh, in, in maybe 
25 years ago, we had a very small constituency. Now we have one of the largest in the world, uh, well over 200,000. Uh, Madagascar is another example of rapid growth over somewhat longer time, but well over 200,000 constituents. Our largest um, constituency in uh, South America is Venezuela, where we have over 400,000. Um, and even though the economy is in shambles, the government is socialist and uh, there's you know, it's a very difficult to operate, yet the church has, and, and many people have immigrated out of the nation because of economic hardship. Still, we have a rapidly growing church. So I'm just giving you some of our numerically, uh, the largest Brazil is also over 200,000. And what's interesting about that, we're heavily concentrated in the Amazon basis, uh, in Manaus, uh, which is kind of the, the, the capital of the Amazon region. We have many churches, thousands of believers. Um, and of course, that was pioneered by Brother and Sister de Merchant. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, Brazil is Portuguese speaking. So with since the Brazilian church is so strong and has national leadership and they have missionaries, so uh, almost if not every country now, I think in uh, every Portuguese speaking nation around the world, uh, we now have um believers i think maybe there's one more we're trying to open there's one remaining uh, small country in in uh, africa they're trying to open but most of those have been opened or assisted by people from brazil wow it's exciting to hear about what god's doing around the world and we certainly are looking forward to hosting the global council this week right here in the st louis area so excited about what uh, god's going to do thank you for listening to this episode of apostolic life in the 21st century If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share apostolic life in the 21st century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.